Coast Bible Church, 40 years of ministry, 40 years of God, God's faithfulness. You know, friends, uh, today is truly a day of celebration. Today is truly a day to celebrate and to praise God for what He has done. You know, there are all sorts of uh, celebrations in the world today. We go to birthday parties. We have, a, we have lots of presents. We have a big cake at the end. We go to retirement parties and we, we wish people well, those who have labored long over their many, many years of life and are now going to enjoy the fruit of that labor. In a couple days, few days now, we're going to be celebrating our national independence and we're going to shoot fireworks in the sky. And that's how we're going to celebrate the 4th of July. But I have a question for you today. My question is this. What are we celebrating? What are we celebrating today? And equally important to that question, why are we celebrating? Why are we celebrating it? Friends, I've been, uh, I've been thinking about this message for some time now. Recently, I've been looking through God's Word and um, I've been looking at acts of celebration. I've been looking at moments in God's Word where His people were praising Him. We're celebrating, we're throwing a party, if you will, and celebrating in some way, shape, or form. And I wanted to know what are the kinds of things that God's people celebrate. I wanted to know what are the kinds of things that God asks us to rejoice in. Three acts, three acts of celebration became obvious as I studied the Word of God. I'd like to share with you these acts of celebration and help us answer the question, what is truly worth celebrating? The title of my message today is Celebrate Today, Anticipate Tomorrow. Celebrate Today and Anticipate Tomorrow. The question at hand is, what is truly worth celebrating? What is truly worth celebrating? On your outline, if you have that, if the ushers have passed those out, I want to note the first thing here. It's right in the back. I just noticed it sitting there, as a matter of fact. So you're going to be getting this in just a moment. Number one, the first thing that is truly worth celebrating is this. Celebrate God for who He is and what he has done for us in Christ. Celebrate God for who He is and what He has done for us in Christ. Let me read Psalm 98, verses 1 to 4. It says this, O sing to the Lord a new song, for He has done marvelous things. His right hand and His holy arm have gained the victory. The Lord has made known His salvation. His righteousness He has revealed in the sight of the nations. He has remembered His mercy and His faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Shout joyfully, joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth in song, rejoice, and sing praises. Celebrate God for who He is. Friends, the Lord is holy. He is good. He is righteous. 
He is merciful. He is gracious. He is faithful. He does marvelous, marvelous things. And the most marvelous thing of all, the most marvelous thing He's done for us, when we celebrate God for who He is and what He has done, the most marvelous thing of all is His Son, Jesus Christ, whom He has sent. We know the Scripture all too well. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Friends, that is the marvelous work of God. That is worth celebrating. That is why we gather. Jesus Christ What God has done for us in Jesus Christ is why we are here today and why we celebrate this day. Our God is the giver of salvation. In Christ, He has removed the boundary of sin and death that has separated man from God. He has put that sin on His Son. Jesus Christ has paid a debt that we could never pay. A debt that gave us a chance at life again with God forever if we would but believe in Jesus for it. What are we celebrating? We are celebrating and marveling at God who has done exceedingly and abundantly more than we could ever ask or think. We celebrate the fact that we are God's sons and daughters by faith in Jesus Christ. And we celebrate the fact that we know the God of all the universe. One of my favorite passages of Scripture pertains to knowing God. We don't boast in ourselves. We boast in knowing and understanding God. Take a look at what Jeremiah has to say. He says this, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his might. Let Nor let the rich man glory in his riches. But let him who glory glory in this, that he understands and knows me that I am the Lord, exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these I delight, says the Lord. Let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and he knows me. Friends, that is worth celebrating. I suggest to you the first thing we are celebrating today is we are celebrating God. We are celebrating who He is. We are celebrating what He has done for us through Jesus Christ. The second thing, what else are we celebrating? I want to suggest to you that we are celebrating lives that have been changed by the Holy Spirit. We're celebrating lives that have been changed by the Holy Spirit. I just spent some time in the last number of weeks thinking of the lives that have been changed as a result of God's work in these 40 years at Coast. I think first and foremost of Stony Brook Christian School. I think of the partnership that Pastor Arch established with Sherry and Dennis. I think of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of children that have come through that school, that have been trained up in the Lord, that have come to faith in Jesus Christ and who have gone out into the world around us 20 plus years of God working through the lives of those children. And I thank Sherry and Dennis for committing their lives to that. I think of Fred Eaton, my good friend, the last associate pastor of this church, 
God raised him up to lead this church to serve under Archer's ministry. And you know what he did after that? After he was trained, after he was mature, after he was ready, the Lord sent him out. The Lord sent him and Susan out to Arizona. And today they have a thriving church, a healthy church, a church that is making a great impact in a brand new city in Arizona. Grace Church of Saurita. God has changed lives. I think of my good friend Tom Bennett. I think of my good friend Tom Wellborn. Both of whom are in seminary today. They are training to become pastors. They're training to become men who lead the church. They've been impacted by the Lord Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is working on their lives today. And I have full confidence that these men will one day be pastors. I have full confidence that the Lord is going to use them in mighty ways. I think of the children being born at Coast Bible Church. I think there's been about ten babies born in the last year. We had a picture in the slideshow of all those pregnant ladies lined up together outside. Friends, children are growing up at Coast Bible Church and the Lord is putting them in homes with parents who love God and who are ultimately concerned with raising their children in the strength and admonition of the Lord. Babies are being dedicated. Parents are dedicating their lives to God and saying, I will raise up my child in the way he or she should go. I just had a young person the other day, a teenager, come up to me and say, Pastor Neil, I'd like to be baptized. We're going to baptize her in August. I'm looking forward to that day. There are so many others that I could, that I could point to. Lives are being changed. And, and we might ask the question, well, how does it happen? How does it happen? How do lives get changed? How can we change more lives? How does it happen? If you go on the world today, if you drop by a, a local bookstore, you're going to find dozens of New York Times best-selling books offering the latest techniques for a fresh start, a new change, the new you. In the end, these methods of change, they rarely achieve the desired result. But friends, I've heard of a book that's been known to have pretty good success. I've heard of a book that's been known to change lives. And it's this book. It's the Word of God. This, God's truth, is what changes lives. This book changes lives. This book changes people. God's Word is often referred to as a seed in the Scriptures. You'll recall the parables of Jesus where He spoke about the seed, that is the Word of God, being planted in the hearts of men and women. It's the seed, God's Word, that the Spirit of God uses to invoke change in people's lives. It's the seed, the Word of God, that God's Spirit uses to bring forth a new person, a mature individual, a complete body of Christ. This is what starts it. And God's Spirit ends that change. He takes it to fruition. I think it's safe to say, though, that we often forget that God is the one who changes people. I know the Corinthian church forgot that for a time. The Apostle Paul was writing to the church in Corinth, a relatively new Christian church, and he was addressing some various concerns within that church, some various problems that had been arising. 
One of the problems was a sense of spiritual elitism. You see, some of the Corinthian Christians, in a vain effort to establish their self-worth, in a vain effort to establish their self-importance, many of them were identifying themselves with their teacher and not what truly changes them. Some of them in Corinth were saying, well, the Apostle Paul, he was my teacher. Well, Apollos, he was my teacher. They were the ones who who brought about what you see in me today. The Christians at Corinth were disputing with one another regarding which teacher was superior, whose teaching was best, which man could invoke the most change. They were esteeming the human person who had sown the seed and not the source of that seed. We pick up the story in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 4-7. to Paul says this, For when one says, I'm of Paul, and another says, I'm of Apollos, are you not carnal? Who then is Paul? And who is Apollos? But ministers through whom you believed, as the Lord gave to each one. I planted, Paul says, Apollos watered, but God, God gave the increase. So then, neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters is anything, but God who gives the increase. I planted, Apollos watered, and God gave the increase. Friends, God invokes change. God invokes change. God gives increase. God affects growth. God causes maturity. We plant and we water, but God gives the increase. Every time. Lives have been changed in these 40 years of coast. You say, how did it happen? God did it. Well, how can we change more lives? We don't. God does. Well, right, but, but how can we... How can we have a greater impact? How can we win Orange County for Jesus Christ? How can we go out and be the greatest church of all? We can't. We can't. God can't. Friends, I can't impress this any further than what I have to say here. We don't change people. I don't change people. You don't change people. We plant and we water. And God gives the increase. It is God's work when I point to Stony Brook. It is God's work when I praise what He has done through Fred Eaton out in Arizona. It is God's work when He's raising up Tom Bennett and Tom Wellborn to be pastors. It's God's work. We didn't do it. He does it. There's a third... And a final way I'd like to suggest we celebrate today. First, we've celebrated God for who He is and what He's done for us in Christ. Second, we've celebrated changed lives, changed by the Holy Spirit of God. And third, and this is an unusual way of celebration, the world doesn't pay attention to this way of celebration, but I'm suggesting today that we celebrate times of trial and weakness knowing that God is especially at work in us during these times 
You say, celebrate struggles? Come again? Celebrate weakness and trial? Excuse me? What do you mean? Friends, we rejoice in trials, in persecutions, in struggles. We take joy in the midst of difficult times because it is precisely in those times, it is precisely in those moments of weakness that God's Spirit is especially at work in the midst of us. Our God takes special pleasure, special pleasure, in coming to our aid in times of our darkest despair and depression. Our God delights in making us strong when we are weak. The Apostle Paul knew this all too well. There was a time in his life when he was battling a physical infirmity, we think. Some scholars believe it was blindness. Based on some of Paul's writings, his, his constant speaking, uh, attesting to the eyes and to vision, some assume that, that Paul may have been going blind. We don't know what the illness was, but we do know that Paul was praying, praying and praying, saying, God, take this away. Take this away from me. I don't like this trial. I don't like this weakness. He lets us in on his dialogue with the Lord. Take a look at 2 Corinthians 12.8. He says, Concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. Take this away, Lord. And he, he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities, Paul says, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, it is then that I am strong. I will boast in my infirmities. I will celebrate my weakness, Paul says, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me, knowing that when I'm weak, oh, friends, that's when I'm strong. That's when we're strong. It is when we are at our weakest point that God works mightily in us. It is when... All seems lost. That God especially takes delight in showing us the path. It is when we are beaten down, fatigued, depressed, hopeless and without strength that God reaches down and picks us up and carries us. Paul says, so celebrate those times. Celebrate those times. Rejoice in those times of weakness. Um, my my good friend Tom Bennett, we, we talk a lot during the week. We... We have a mentor time together. And I let Tom know just recently, I said, Tom, I'm having trouble with this message today. I said, I'm having trouble with this 40th anniversary message. I, it, it's a different kind of message for me. I'm used to teaching the Bible verse by verse, but I thought that today would be a special day to, to declare some of the great ideas that we, can, that we can grasp out of God's Word about celebration. But I was having a struggle preparing this message, I, might, I, I must confess. Because today's message, um, in large part, is to be an inspirational message, is it not? It's to be a message where we come and we celebrate these 40 years and we say, okay, let's go, let's do the next 40 years. But I confess to you, 
that I, it, it, it took great pains for me to prepare this message, and I'll tell you why. Because these last few weeks have been a time of weakness for me. These last few weeks have been a time in which inspiration has been on the DL for me. There have been a lot of things happening recently that, uh, that have been weighted on my shoulders a little bit. We're, we're dealing with uh, some counseling things in the church right now. There's, there's some marriages that need some healing. There's some people who are, are, are hurting right now. There's some people who are sick. There's some people who are depressed right now. There's some people who are going through really, really difficult times right now. And I felt the weight of that recently. And I don't say that to, to incur pity. I say that to bring out a very important point, friends. I felt weak in the last few weeks. I felt a bit inferior in the last few weeks. I felt a bit deficient in the last few weeks. But you know what the Bible says? You know what Paul says? He says, Neil, guess what? That is the greatest time of inspiration. This moment right now, the weight on your shoulders, you want to talk about inspiration? I'll give you inspiration. The weakness you are feeling right now means that God is especially working in you right now. The deficiency that you feel right now the depression, some of the things that are burdening your shoulders today, yours and mine, friends, this is the time of inspiration. Because it is in those times that God's Spirit is especially at work in you and in me. So you want to talk about a motivational speech? You want to talk about an inspirational message? Friends, we don't give inspiration like the world gives. My inspiration is this. When we're weak... God is strong in us. My inspiration is this. When we are deficient, God is abundant. Friends, we need to celebrate the fact that in times of trial and weakness, God's Spirit is especially in us. It's especially working in us to bring us forth through that trial, through that time of weakness, and to mature us all the more in Jesus Christ. And so if you feel a bit weak today, praise God. If you feel a bit inadequate today, I praise God for that. If you feel a bit small, a bit inferior, a bit deficient, I praise God. Because you see, there's only one thing that I fear more than human weakness, and it is human strength. What will happen when God does shower us with blessings of strength and power and vitality and influence? Will we then pat ourselves on the shoulder? Will we then glory in ourselves or will we remember that we are but farmers who plant and water seeds and God is the only one who gives the increase? Friends, we celebrate times of weakness, trial, hardship, and suffering. And at the end of our days, may we declare to God what the prophet Habakkuk declared to him back in the 6th century B.C. Look what he says. He says this, Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, though the labor of the olive tree may fail and the field yields no food, 
Though the flocks may be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I, Habakkuk says, will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. He, the Lord God, is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet and He will make me walk on my high hills. Do a study of Habakkuk. You will never see trial and weakness like Habakkuk saw. His homeland... As he, says the, as he says these words, his homeland was being devoured by the Babylonian nation. His friends and neighbors were taken away in exile. And yet this is what he says at the end of his days. What do we celebrate today, friends? I'm celebrating who God is and what he's done for us in Christ. I'm celebrating lives that have been changed by the word of God, by the spirit who's used that word. I'm celebrating trials and weakness. Because I know that God's Spirit is especially upon us in times like that. You know, I mentioned what we've been celebrating, but, but what can we anticipate? What can we anticipate now? What will the next 40 years look like? Give us a, give us a taste of the future. The Word of God tells me to tread carefully here. Tread carefully when you plan and forecast. James says this, he says, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow, what is your life? It's a vapor. It appears for a little time and then it vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall do that, this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance, that is your arrogance of planning, of foresight. All such boasting is evil. You say, oh, Pastor Neil, you just got off the hook, didn't you? No plan? No plans? No strategy? Is there no plan for Coast Bible Church? Are we not to have a strategy before us? No, friends, I agree that we need victory. I agree that we need a winning strategy. We need results. But we accomplish things a little bit differently than the world. The world looks around and says, come on, let's get moving. Let's wake up. Let's cause some serious change. Change? Ah, yes, change. I remember change. My father does that. We don't do that. If we want great things to happen at Coast Bible Church, we're going to plant and we're going to water and we're going to let God bring the change. Friends, we're going to do what God's people are supposed to do. We're going to do what the Word of God tells us to do. We're going to follow the same pattern, the same sense of normalcy, if you will, that the church has always done from the beginning. You heard it in the slideshow. Dr. J. Vernon McGee quoted Acts 2.42. And they continued steadfastly in what? The apostles' teaching, in fellowship, in breaking bread, and in prayer. McGee said these are the spiritual fingerprints of the visible church. That's what the church does.
We teach. We have fellowship with one another. We love one another. We break bread. That is to say, we eat together. We partake of the Lord's Supper together. We remember Christ's death together. And we pray. We pray for one another. We care for one another's needs. We go before the Lord and ask Him for good things. We carry out the great commandment. We love God and we love people. We carry out the great commission. We go out into the world and we plant seeds, praying to God that He will bring forth disciples from the seeds that we plant. We care for orphans and widows, according to James 1.27. We love the unlovely. We help those who are helpless. 1 Corinthians 12, we as a body, as a great as a great people of God, we are one body with many, many members. And each one of us do our part. Each one of us contribute our part in planting and watering the seeds that God can make the change. You know, I'm, as we begin to draw this uh, message to a close, I'm reminded of a story. There was a, a carpenter who... Uh, he, he worked for his employer for all these years, 40 plus years. And uh, it was come time to retire. And the carpenter uh, had informed his boss, he said, you know, I, uh, I want to retire. I, I think I'm done. Uh, this will be my last project. He, he was about a day away. And so he, he finished that and, and he went over to his boss and said, you know, I, I think I'm done. I think this is it. Uh, I've, I've made, my, I've made my, my money and I want to retire. I want to enjoy the rest of my life. The boss says, hey, you know what? i got one more project for you. The carpenter says, no, no, really. I, I have, I, I'm, I'm done. I'm spent. I've worked hard. I've worked long and hard, and, and this is, you know, I'm, I'm done. The boss says, no, please, I insist. One more project, please. Build me one more house. One more house. i got one more project for you. The carpenter, after thinking about it a while, he begrudgingly agrees. So he begins to build this house. Now this carpenter had been an excellent carpenter. He had done magnificent work all his days. He had built the most beautiful of homes in the most excellent of condition. Nothing was wrong with the homes that he had built. And yet in this particular job, this carpenter was a little bit agitated. He was a little bit miffed that he had to do this one final project. He wanted to retire and go off into the glory days. And so he was a little bit thinking, well, I don't really want to do this project. And so what did he do? He rushed it. He rushed it. He cut corners. He went for good and not great. You might call it a C plus or a B, not an A. And as he built this home, it, it, it was looking all right on the outside, but on the inside, this carpenter knew quite well that what he had built was insufficient. It was inferior. It was not good enough. So he goes to his boss on the last day. And he says, there's the home. You know, there it is. It's my last one. I, uh, I'm done. i got to retire. I've got I to go home. And the boss says, no problem, but i got one last thing for you. boss flips him a key. It says, it's my gift to you. That's my gift to you right there. Friends, what we build today, 
what we do today, the role that you play today, you are building up a spiritual home that God has entrusted you to be members of. You are building up a house of God, a spiritual house, one in which lives are being changed by the Word of God, by the Spirit of God who uses it. You are building up this house today, not the building, the people of God. And one day Jesus is going to throw you the key and say, Did you see what you built? Did you see what you built? Did you build with integrity? Did you build with faithfulness? Did you build with excellence? Did you do everything you could to plant and to water and to allow for me to grow this place up? May we build excellently. May we build excellently, friends. And might I add it as, as, as I close. If we're doing our part, there's going to be times of trial and there's going to be times of weakness. I tell you, friends, the enemy is going to be battling hard against us. He does not want this church to move forward. But God makes victories. God wins victories differently. God does things in a different sort of way. I'm reminded of a, of a quote I read in a book recently by Wes Roberts and Glenn Marshall called Reclaiming God's Original Intent for the Church. They say this, Struggle provides the canvas for us to tell God's story honestly and authentically. He goes on to say, God wins victories by way of the cross. If we minister in the name of Jesus, we'll minister by way of the cross, denying ourselves daily and following Jesus. Friends, that is what I want you to do. Minister by way of the cross. Deny ourselves. Pick up our cross and follow the Lord Jesus Christ. We will plant and we will water, but we will let God give the increase. We will play our part and let God do His. He has been faithful. I'm asking us today to return the favor. Let's close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank You so much for who You are. I celebrate You, Lord. We rejoice in You, Lord. We praise the fact that You've given us Your Son, Jesus Christ, in whom we have salvation. I praise You, Lord, for changed lives by Your Word, by the Spirit. I praise You, Lord, for the times in which we are weak. Because, Lord, those are great times of inspiration. Father, this church is Yours. You've built it up. You've raised up men and women. And, Father, You're going to continue Your work. Father, may we be mindful, though, all the while, that it is Your work. It is your story. You're the agent of change. Lord, we will plant and we will water. That is our promise to you. And we ask you to give increase. In Christ our Lord's name we pray these things. Amen.